2: From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, this is the Autosport Podcast and I'm Kevin Turner. So we've got a special edition of the Autosport Podcast today. Uh, it's our traditional Top 50 Drivers of the Year podcast. Always uh, a controversial list. Nobody ever agrees with it, even the people that make it disagree. So it's always good for a debate. Uh, and I'm pleased to say that joining me, we're actually all together, uh, rare, a rare luxury for us at the moment three special guests to talk us through uh, the highlights and some of the perhaps not so highlights of uh, of 2021. Uh, And first of all, I'm going to welcome Allsport.com editor Hayden Cobb. Hayden, how are you doing? You're looking forward to talking about a pretty dramatic season in many championships. Oh yeah, massively excited! It's been one hell of a year for for many
3: reasons and yeah, everywhere you look there's storylines that really sort of stand out and you could basically talk this whole podcast about certain championships but obviously we'll try and cover them all in,
2: in the time that we've got that's a good point actually we do try and sort of spread the joy across different series so uh, there's a little bit of artistic licence in the list but we'll we'll come to that when we, we talk about how we put the list together um, also joining me is all sorts of technical editor Jake Bottsall Jake you weren't quite as involved in this uh, this one as sometimes previously so you're kind of almost an independent voice which could be could be interesting you want to give us any heads up as to something that you might be disagreeing with or agreeing with
1: uh i'm sure we'll get into it a little bit later i think there's uh a couple maybe indycar drivers that i would have put in and not had uh there's a couple of you know other drivers that i would put in different positions but i think generally um you know as an independent for voice coming into this i think it's been you know it's, it's a good list i think that it's got all the right people on it um for the most part, so we'll we'll get into that shortly. We we will, and and uh, my final guess is very
2: important because the hardest thing I think to rate uh, for this is championships with multiple drivers in the same car. It really is difficult to pick out who's been performing the best, and that is our sports car guru Gary Watkins. So we've had to lean on you for quite a few of the GT and sports car categories. Do you, do you find this time of year quite challenging picking out top fives and top tens? Um. It's challenging and time-consuming,
0: sort of going through the data, working out averages, uh, yeah, and that kind of thing. And then it it gets time-consuming afterwards when uh, the uh, list is published, fending off the calls and the uh, anger of drivers, their friends, family uh, and the like who don't uh, agree
2: yes it's probably worth saying as this is generally to fans and drivers please don't be offended this is supposed to be a, a fun thing to highlight as many different series and drivers that perform well during the season if you're not in the 50 it doesn't mean that we think you are hopeless during the year there are plenty I think we had uh, James Newball put the list together. and I think we had about 65 or 70 names on the on the in the top 50 if that makes sense so we did have some decisions to make so let's get on to talking about how we did make those decisions Hayden you're involved in, in quite a few uh, few of the sort of discussions and backwards and forwards on it. So I guess the first thing we have to do uh, is choosing the drivers within each series. And of course we're led there by uh by the, the top tens from the from the contributors themselves. Is that do you think that makes it kind of easier as a start point or more tricky if you disagree with them? That certainly
3: makes the long list, let's say, like you say, and I and I think this this year um was probably the longest long list we've had for, for many a years, And like you say Therefore, being able to cut it down from the, the top tens of each series by the, the reporters or whoever puts those together um, really sort of helps narrow down sort of the focus and sort of filtering it accordingly by uh, by championship and by driver. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So, I mean, we've we, we we rely on that. Of course, there is some. So you should, if you look through the list and you've got the time. The top 50 should match up with the top 10s of the various championship reviews for consistency, but there are some exceptions, uh, and those are obviously exceptions where drivers have done multiple series and they can move up and down the list um, for example, Sebastian Bwemi normally was up the list because of his efforts in Formula E and WEC, and this year he moved down because he had such a atrocious, a, self, a self-confessed terrible year in Formula E, even though he was a, a, a very good performer uh, in WEC. So the next part of that, once we've got that, is to try and put the championships in some sort of hierarchy order. Obviously a world championship, Formula 1 tends to get the maximum weighting, if you like, than the World Rally Championship. Uh, Warwick, Formula formulae as well because, Jake, it kind of changes over time, doesn't it? As championships get strong, I mean F1 is normally at the top but behind that it kind of moves around quite a lot so it's, it's something we really have to keep an eye on.
1: Yeah, certainly. You look at the sort of relative strength of the drivers, um, maybe the teams involved as well for example. There are weak seasons, there are strong seasons and you know, you guys have the tough job of having to try and grade them. Um, you know, for example, I don't know, maybe looking 10 years ago, you'd say GP2 was very, very weak. And now you would say that, you know, it's probably comparatively Formula 2 is quite a strong series. And, you know, you just get that ebb and flow, really. Yeah,
0: it's going on. Gary. But we don't attach uh, coefficients to them like the European Rally Championship of old, where <laughs> there would be uh, this highly complicated. Point scoring system with different rallies having different amounts of points, and I'm not sure anyone uh, understood it. But uh, no, it's I not think like that.
2: It's one of those things where formalising it, I think, would. A, be an enormous job and B, you'd have to be changing it all the time and, and it would be, it would be it's all very unworkable really. It's more of a, I guess it's a feel for what the pyramid of motorsport looks like. Um, but actually, the World Endurance Championship is a good example of how this, you know, sports car racing is, is a very boom and bust kind of category. A few years ago when we had Audi, Porsche and Toyota all at it in lmp one that was really exciting. Some of the drivers got really high up the list. This year we had a real debate about do we put hypercar drivers in because it's only really Toyota at the front GT Pro was close but there are only two teams again so do you think that we've pitched the sports car drivers in the right place they're perhaps a bit further down the top 50 than they would usually be I think they, they are a bit further down than they
0: would usually be and perhaps if Buemi had had a, a good Formula E season uh, he would be uh, uh, significantly higher and give the sort of first WEC driver uh, a higher overall placing uh, yeah I think it's difficult to argue that the you know they're not deserving of I, I i rephrase that the WEC obviously isn't the ultra competitive environment that it was several years ago in the pomp of p1 and it's not the ultra ultra competitive environment that we think it's going to be come 2023 with the arrival of the lmdh cars audi porsche uh others and of course ferrari with uh an lmh uh so i say we've probably got got um got them about right you know they're i think in the in the 20s and 30s um you know perhaps too high but um uh, but yeah about right in a year's time i think uh sorry in two years time i think we might be uh might be i'd, I'd like to think that we'd see the standout driver in the hypercar car class in the WEC. uh perhaps uh, well not perhaps in the top ten.
2: Yeah, I think for any sports car fans out there, would feel a bit aggrieved. I mean, there's two of us. There's two of us who are into sports cars, sat here anyway. At least two. I won't speak for for Jake and Hayden at this point, but um, yeah, I think they'll be climbing up the list again in the next couple of years. But I mean, just just to pick out actually um, some of the top performers, we've actually got Alessandro Pierghidi, the GTE champion, ahead of all of the hypercar drivers. I guess because it was a more competitive. Uh, more competitive in terms of how close it was, and also he had some extracurricular activities to bring in Gary. Exactly, yeah. Um,
0: Pigweedy was a exceptionally strong in the WEC on the way um, to the title. We're not here to talk about the final eleven minutes of uh, the WEC finale at Bahrain last month. What happened? What happened afterwards? And what happened in the sorry? What happened in the minutes and hours afterwards? And what happened in the days afterwards with
2: a controversial title <laughs> decider? Who'd have thought it in twenty twenty one? We're not. We're not,
0: <laughs> we're not here to talk talk about that. Uh, he was exceptional uh, in WEC, uh, but the the reason I lobbied for him to be so high is that he was exceptional also in. Uh, gt world challenge europe particularly at the spa 24 hours uh where he came from behind uh to seal the victory for the iron links ferrari team in that amazing last hour of the race where ferrari the ferrari looked home and dry piguidi was uh at the will dark clouds were overhead the WRT Audi team, a local team, Vincent Vos, the boss, literally, you know, as he said, spars his back garden. That When uh, Dries Van Tour came in for the final stop, they sent him out on a dry track on wet tyres. Uh, in in the belief, but also a little bit of hope that it was going to rain, it did rain, and it rained soon enough that he held on to the lead. There was then, inex Explicably Iron links whose car was sort of running conjunction with uh AF Corset, didn't pit Piaguidi straight away. Looked like they'd l- lost the race. Then there was a big shunt uh at the bus stop, multiple cars, there and we thought, safety car, no safety car, Audi home and dry. Then someone else crashes. We get the four calls yellow into the safety car. Suddenly Piaguidi's back back in the mix. He chases down um um uh Van Tour and he takes the lead around the outside at Blanchemont Um and that it was just a, a spectacular uh performance from me and it was as as I once told a driver who was complaining to me that uh about some of the rankings a few years ago, I I said special drivers do special things. And for me Pierre Guidi is an increasingly special driver. Uh he looked at every time he got in the car uh, in the weck this year and uh, he was just outstanding at at spa you know and it was just it was one of the highlights of the year for me uh that that race because it was just like really really <laughs> really really <laughs> you know it's just
2: it just kept changing at every turn and it was just it was just a pleasure to be there and we are going to do a, a top moments of the year um, in the in the Christmas uh, double issue of the Autosport magazine, and that will that will feature in it. I think I'm not giving too much away there, but um, yeah. So that puts him twentieth actually in our in our top fifty, which is two spots ahead of Kevin Estre, who was fantastic in the World Endurance uh, a Championship, and I think top your top the GT list uh, in your top five, I think Gary, but moves behind because that's of, that's because right i think yeah. yeah yeah um well let's look at some of the other uh, we will of course get to f1 we won't go on too much about f1 because there's separate f1 podcast but i think there's some obvious people we need to talk about but we'll do that a bit later um but first of all let's pick out some of the top non-f1 drivers in the list which is sometimes the most interesting part of doing it hayden so we've gone for uh, the top non-f1 driver in the list this year is sebastian uh, yet another, an eighth World Rally Championship crown in his last season, and he's five spots higher than he was last year. Uh, are you comfortable with that? Are you happy that he was more convincing in his final season than he was in our very uh, convoluted and sort of shortened season last year?
3: I mean, what more is there to say about Sébastien Auger? Which is a terrible answer for a podcast because then <laughs> I just stop, stopped for talking at <laughs> the end. But <laughs> no, he, he did have a, a phenomenal campaign. I mean, the the records that speak for themselves. I, as you say, I think the the context comparing to say last year's list is important to to put into consideration in terms of how COVID impacted all the series, not just WRC, but that one in particular. Obviously, the the campaign was was massively shorter, a lot more restricted. They were going to different places. The scene of the WRC for for this year was a little bit more familiar to previous seasons, but of course they were still having to sort of hybrid it in terms of um, Going to places where they sort of had to in terms of alternatives because of restrictions, and can go to Japan, for example. Um, but yeah, what can you say about about OJ's in terms of hit the front was was very very sort of consistent all year long. But then when it sort of came to the crunch of it, it, was still that just that consistent driver picking up those points, getting those results, not necessarily yeah yeah winning or putting in those star performances sort of in the summer months, but was just always ticking over, always sort of leading that championship. Didn't really give anyone a sniff. And then when it came to it and I had the advantage sort of in in Monza for the the finale, just put it paid to there. And and yeah, you can't can't say fairer than that. Um, Yeah, one of the greatest drivers of all time in a rally car.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely the case. He's in the debate now, isn't he? Well, he was already, let's be honest. I mean, yeah. He won the World Rally Championship with three different teams, which even Sebastian Loeb didn't do. I'll see all his successes uh, were with Citroën. But a couple of things I liked about OJ's season. First of all, compared to last year, he was kind of lucky to win it at the Monza finale, really, whereas this year he, he went in with the points lead. Uh, yeah, you know, he had those you know, those I think four four wins from the first six off the bat and then he was obviously looking after a championship lead in the way that an experienced old hand would. But what I did quite enjoy was that he obviously decided for the final round I'm not just gonna cruise round, let Elfin Evans win the win the event. I'm going to go at it and they had an amazing ding-dong but I think it changed about 6 times and he came out on top. So what a way to finish. Um yeah, a fantastic career and really he's worthy of his own podcast. Actually, he's he's um, he's been friends friends with Autosport over the years, so it'd be great to get him on a, a podcast to talk about his career. I think it'd be it'd be fascinating. Um but our next non F1 driver I'm going to throw to going to throw to Jake here because you do fancy a bit of IndyCar, don't you? So talk us through Talk us through our, the number, first of all, the, the fifth person on our list, IndyCar champion, and then perhaps mention a few of those names that you were alluding
1: to earlier on. Sure. So, obviously, Alex Pelot, our IndyCar champion, um, fifth on our list. And um, well, it, it's been an absolutely fantastic season. It's his second IndyCar season. Um, moved over from Delcoin Racing last season. Had a good season with DaleCoin, but it's, you know, relative size compared to the rest of the grid. It's a very, very small team in comparison to your. Chip Ganassi's, your Penske's, your Andretti's and maybe, you know, McLaren and Rahul Esmond lanigan as well. It's not one of the bigger teams. Got a podium with that team as well. Um, and then Chip Ganassi racing when Felix Rosenqvist went to uh, McLaren SP, brought Pelo in because, you know, the, the old saying goes that Chip likes winners. And uh, Pelo has, has proven that in every sense of the word. Um, first time out, first drive with ganassi kicked off with the win at barber um and it was just so calm and in control and he had to fight with uh, pato award who he fought for the championship with um alex rossi factored in at the start but then you know his season kind of went backwards as it did in that race um and pelo's consistency as well he was on the podium i think more times than any other driver i think um did get a little bit of luck with his victory at Road America um, because Joseph Newgarden had an issue on, you know, the final restart and couldn't really get going until, you know, a little bit further down the road. His Indy 500 performance after that huge crash in in practice, what a turnaround that was. Um, the fact that he then qualified towards the front, fought with Helio Castroneves for the whole second half of that race and he was so close to getting in but that traffic just helped Castro Neves in that sense um, sorry Kev you look no like no Dr. it's just
2: interesting you said that because I had a chat with Dara Frankitty about that and he obviously he knows a thing or two about winning the Indy 500 <laughs> yeah and he he said that they'd been telling him you know just work up to it slowly because they, they know or, or the, the conceived wisdom is if you like that if you stick it in the wall early on during the I mean it used to be the month of May right it's not quite that now but if you put it on early in proceedings you can never catch up uh and so when, they, when he did stick it in the ball, they were like, ah, oh, damn it. And then the very next session out and they went, ooh, hang on a minute, this guy is, <laughs> this guy's <is laughs> something a bit special. I think also to do it in his second season, like we try and factor in experience when it's relevant not to this. I think to do it in your second year, I mean, he kind of, yeah, and against Scott Dixon, like the guy over the last decade and a half, to beat him in the same team is, is pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, for sure, and, and his performance was incredibly Dixon-like as well in in that consistency and the fact that no matter what happened, ninety percent of the time he was in top four, top five. I think the best example of that was Portland. You know, he was going into the lead, and then turn one happened. Uh, him, Dixon, and a few other cars went off in you know what was a little bit of a scuffle, a little bit more of a fracas, really. Um, and he was moved back by IndyCar Race Control because he and Dixon had cut the corner and a few others... Cars. Avoiding a crash. Which yeah, avoiding a, a crash. Harsh. But, <laughs> you know, they got moved back in the order and he still managed to race through and win that race. Um, and then just brought it home nicely at the end of the season. O'Ward was sort of... His season was kind of petering out at that point and Palo got P2 at Laguna, P4 at Long Beach, and that was it. That was enough to secure the title. And it's just such an assured season and it's it comes a little bit of a surprise if you look at his junior career for example he never had the money to go out and win you know maybe a GP3 or an F3 or anything like that um it was such a sort of it was a strange time for him in that he couldn't really afford a good seat and Adrian Campos was giving him the Campos driving GP3 basically out of goodwill because you know he rated him um he's right about that then <laughs> <laughs> exactly um i think you know he, he, he was good in that season but campos you know not a front-running team for example so it's taken him a long while to sort of show his potential in a good car but he's he's finally done that and what a season it's been
0: can i just say that we should uh that he's got Kazumichi go to thank for that who picked him up in japan uh Casco, of course, Le Mans winning entrant uh, with an Audi back in 2004. Uh, he, yeah, he put a lot of money in his career. M- my understanding is uh, took him to IndyCar with Dale Coyne or, you know, helped him get that drive you don't you don't turn up at Dale Coin and get a free drive we know that we know he doesn't have any money so I think we can safely presume where the money came from so uh, yeah his talent was obviously spotted in Japan don't forget he had two stints in Japan in Formula 3 I think he was third in the championship Uh, then he came back to Europe then he went back uh, did Super Formula and I think he was top three again Uh, so yeah so so um his his uh work in japan was very important in his career and I, perhaps he also shows that what a sort of is is it correct to call the sort of japanese mo mo motor racing scene is it is it a an excellent proving ground or sorry training ground or is it just a, a great hotbed of of talent oh, or perhaps a bit of both.
2: I yeah, think. I think it's probably a bit of both. I think I'm, I'm inclined to go with that. It's just very competitive because we've seen quite a few Japanese drivers who look amazing, and it is hard to win. We know uh-huh. the quality of competition, but they do often struggle when they come over to Europe. Now, whether well, that's a, a cultural thing rather than the driving thing is perhaps a, another debate. I think there is, has
0: been traditionally a cultural thing. If you know, if you go back to the 80s, perhaps you know. Hoshino, you know, Mm. a great talent, but, you know, when he turned up in Europe every so often, never really quite uh, did it. And some other, obviously, some other drivers, but yeah, I. the world shrinking isn't it well I would have said the world shrinking until <laughs> yeah it wasn't until a until, couple of years <laughs> <ago>. <laughs> yeah quite
2: <laughs> um yeah no I think the japanese scene is 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 fantastic sort of a bit of a hidden gem in Europe probably like, not to you yeah, know hardcore but to the wider wider audience but um just to finish on the on the indie car point um so uh we've also got Colton Herter uh in at 14 um, so that's two, effectively two young guns, then Jason Newgarden at 18 and Pato Award 19. So IndyCar pretty well represented.
1: I hope I'm, getting, I'm going to get a nod from Jay. That's, that's not too
2: bad, is it? Four drivers up there?
1: Yeah, I think so, um, for sure. Uh, and, and Herter is another one, as you mentioned, you know, a really good season. It was just really, really unlucky in that middle portion for him. Uh, it's kind of unlucky at the start because he was, you know, wounded in that Joseph Newgarden Going slightly wide at turn four and taking, well, you know, basically playing bowling balls with the midfield in the first race. But I think by the end of the season, Herter had kind of cracked it, and Andretti had cracked it, and he got two wins on the bounce. I mean, he kind of looked pretty unassailable at Laguna. Had Joseph Newgarden, you know, trying to make a last ditch bid for the title uh, in in Long Beach, but Herter sort of had the measure of him. So. And and we spoke about him as well. Well, the media has spoken about him being linked with the failed Andretti Sauber bid. Um, you know, for, I mean, for one, he doesn't quite have the super license points at this point. So he wouldn't have been able to probably get to F1 without special dispensation anyway. But I think if you look at him on balance, and if you look at his talent, he's a driver that could make it. And, you know... He didn't, you know, he didn't really factor in the IndyCar title race this year, but next year he probably will be.
0: I think uh, our IndyCar correspondent, David Mausha Lopez, put him second, I think, in his top yes. 10 yeah. uh, and bigged him up, which uh, which I thought was, w- which made me chuckle because years ago, Mausha, as, as we call uh, uh, Mausha Lopez, uh, had a bit of a falling out with Brian Herter, his <laughs> father, when he called him a, a journeyman uh which was probably a little bit unfair. No,
2: Laguna Seca specialist. Well, surely. Laguna Se- well, Laguna maybe, yeah. <laughs> which he doesn't like either I understand. No, uh, really is that right? So
0: so yeah, so maybe uh may maybe is trying to make his peace with the Hertz family, but I I did I did I did chuckle. Uh Yeah. But, but anyway, better than his dad
2: and I'm sure his dad would be the first one to admit that. Yes, yeah. And actually he's one, he's a good example of one of those drivers who And a new guard we've talked about him as well. It would be good to have an American driver in F one, but why would you leave a competitive environment to probably be in the midfield towards the back of F one? It just, it doesn't really make sense to them once they're established in in America. It's, it would take a bold move, I think, for someone to do that, but not impossible if someone gets the opportunity.
0: But he's young enough True. to
2: come and go back, isn't he? It's
0: not like if you think when his dad had a sniff of Formula One, tested a Minardi, I w- I was there uh, at Donington, had a sniff of a, an Arrow's drive. Uh, as well. You know, he was later in his career, Colton's young enough that he can have a crack at Formula One uh, and go back. And the whole super light, super license point system, you know, it's sort of glad that, it's good that we have a sort of coherent structure in place but if you turn around and say a front-running IndyCar driver can't go and do Formula One because he hasn't got enough super license points, well, that's plainly ridiculous, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I was, it's a little bit like um, when they made people like Jim Clark do the rookie test at, at Indy and drive around at set speeds <laughs> before he could then stick it on pole. <laughs> um, that kind of thing, yeah. So, no, it's a very good point. about. It. Sorry, do you want to No, but I was just of completely agreeing
3: with everyone, and as as we're speaking right now, Pato what is is obviously on, on this list, is testing for McLaren in a Formula One car right now, which gives you a, a clue of uh, when we're recording this, but that sort of this proof of of the, there, there's obviously that encouragement of trying to get involved and in, in seeing that sort of bridge between IndyCar and Formula One. Certainly, I guess, since Liberty Media have been involved in Formula One and they're always looking for this next American or American-based star to come over. McLaren is that link as well. You, you say you're talking about looking for a front-running car. Award has, has has said that he is keen and his dream would be to go to Formula One if he can achieve what he wants to achieve in IndyCar, so the links are being grown. That the sort of the connections are there, um, and and I guess when this links to sort of the top fifty, let's talk about uh, multiple skills and disciplines. That would only sort of improve their their ranking on on this list as well. But we'll see what's to come. But
0: America will have to adopt him, won't they?
2: Because that's right. Mexican. Yes. Yes. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um Yes. <laughs> well, staying in America. And this nah, is well, I think I want
0: to stay on. Uh, stay in America on Will Power, Who who's made the list?
2: Am I correct? What what he number did, is he? He did make the list. He's a long way down. Hayden, where did, what was his exact position? Forty second.
0: Does he really deserve to be in there? It's um, you know not a great season.
2: No, I think that um, uh, David's argument on that. Um, because he, he did make it into into his top 10, which obviously otherwise he wouldn't be in the list at all, mm-hmm. was that a lot of his um, lack of results was down to team mess-ups, strategy calls, that so sort of thing. a lot of bad luck. Yeah. And if you yeah. look
1: at the first Detroit race, for example, Will Power was dominating that race and he should have won it. And then we get to the final two-lap shootout. There was the red flag and everyone's queued up in the pit lane and his car didn't get started again. And... Marcus Ericsson rather assumed that victory a, a late decision from race control that changes the result of a race that's Indeed. also never happened recently has it <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> we'll come to that later uh yes no that's that's no it's a fair fair point to raise but the the other amount, and this is to any of you really to uh, see what you think of this I always find NASCAR really difficult to rate because I accept that it's incredibly hard to win although we do seem to be getting to a point where you do need to be in one or two teams to actually have a proper shot at it um, and eighth in our list is Carl Larson, who won the championship and for me he's a proper NASCAR champion because if you took away the nonsense of the chase uh, which let's face it is completely artificial now. and a load <laughs> of nonsense um, he would have scored the most points he had the most wins so for me he's a he's, a, he's champion and also the correct champion Um and he's also done an awful lot else. He won the Chili Bowl Nationals uh in midget car racing and sprint car events and he really does he's kind of an old school you know, back in the back in the day IndyCar used to include champion, used to include all these different uh different disciplines. Um uh, so I, I really like that. I think we'll get the elephant in the room out of the way and obviously he's had to bounce back from the racial slur from last year. We did have a debate about whether to in, include him or not. Um, we are trying to write. We we're trying to rate the drivers, right? So we're on this, and you know he's kind of served his time on that. If you like, he's apologised. I think he knows that that was, you know, a very foolish, incorrect thing to do. Um, so in terms of what he did on track, I, I think he kind of earns his his place. Does anyone agree or disagree on I, that?
3: I agree. And and on that point, of course, you you try and keep that separate from the, the racing and from what is is said and what happened. But he clearly had time over the last year when he was banned to really reassess and think about everything that was going on in his life, the situation he'd put himself in and what opportunity he he could be passing up. Um, and I think coming back from that and then just dominating in, in a very, very difficult series to be dominant in and producing the goods that I think a lot of people expected from him, but maybe you thought, oh, this might not have happened because of, of the off track and situations he put himself in with the racial slur. I think that sort of justifies almost that, that narrative of the comeback. Like I say, it's, it, you sometimes you want to split the off-track and the on-track um, things, but they are very much interconnected. And I think that, is, that has to be a factor in terms of his season
1: and his year. I think when you consider it on balance as well, you know, Rick Hendrick did take a gamble in bringing him back because, you know, there is this reputational damage. He ran most of the season without a sponsor, for example. it's just Hendrick putting the money into to, to front the car themselves. And um, he knew that he had a good driver on his hands. Uh, and it, it completely, you know, worked out. And as Hayden said, he was the dominant driver in the series, in a series that, you know, you get so many late crashes and big ones and things like that, that, you know, you, you end up with, a lot of the time, someone who's literally led the last lap and that's about it winning but what one thing i do take issue with is not with larson's rating um but we've got martin trex jr in 27th um i i i would contend that denny hamlin had a stronger opening part of the season in that he was you know leading uh, proceedings during what we would call the regular season before the playoffs kick off it's just the win eluded him and uh, he managed to get in I think he got into the playoffs on points and then he finally got his wins but um, Truex did finish ahead in the standings but uh, now I think maybe if you're having Truex maybe you have Hamlin in there as well
2: so that's the first person on the list of those who missed out that we've now given a shout out to. So <laughs> we'll get to that in a, in a moment. I just before we before we do, um, I just wanted to pick up another one of the uh, another couple of names who non F one drivers who are quite high up on the list. And the number ninth overall is someone who we thought actually at one stage might be getting onto the F one grid, but isn't. And that's Nick de Vries. Now he did win the Formula E championship. He wasn't number one in the Formula E uh, top ten drivers, but he's moved ahead of Mitch Evans by dint of his uh, drives in sports cars in the European Le Mans series. So Gary, what have you made of of, of Nick overall? He does seem to be someone that's kind of quick every, whatever he jumps into. Yeah, and you know, he was doing a, an ELMS program uh, this year, but obviously doing Le Mans.
0: He, he turned up at Le Mans and he, he was just like super quick right up there in the averages. Uh, you know, depending on how you do them, you know, top 50 laps, top whatever, 7,500 laps, he was sort of you know it was temps if if temps between the uh the the sort of top three or four and he yeah he was exceptional but we you know we've seen his talents before you think you go back to 2019 when uh he won um the fuji race with uh tds not sorry the tds run uh racing team a netherlands car you know they ran Won him and Guido van der Gaard won with a bronze-rated driver in uh, Fritz van Erd, which you know is was an amazing a- achievement, and um Nick was uh, was just phenomenal that day. You know, so there there is something
2: special special about him. Yeah, I think you we have know, to say he's one of the best drivers outside of F one on the European yeah. and, scene, and, if you like. And he
0: deserves his shot. And we're going to probably talk about some other drivers who have missed the boat who are not going to get to formula 1 but DeVries still has a still has a chance so yeah i'd like to see him um, yeah i'd like to see him get his chance you know will, would will he make it and become you know uh, a driver who hangs around for 10 years wins some grand prix challenges for championships don't know you know you've got to make that step when you get there but i think i think he's got everything uh that to me that says he
2: deserves the chance. Yes, yeah, he's one someone you'd like, a bit like Oscar Piastri, you want to see yeah. them get there. They've done enough to warrant a, sh- yeah, a shot yeah. at it. Um So, well, before we move on to the people that have perhaps missed out on the list that should be in it, and then we'll finish with the obvious debate, Um I'd just like to mention a couple of other people. Shane Van Gisbergen, absolutely phenomenal in Australian supercars, which is... I think, you know, a very competitive championship and he's certainly one. Um, I wish it wasn't quite so far away because it um, always looks great. He said something very interesting, actually, which was that he thought the fight between uh, him, Scott McLaughlin, who obviously has moved to IndyCar now, um, and Jamie Winkup, who is now retiring to become team boss of, of Triple Eight, um, had got him to a level that when... Winkup cup took his half the ball to do the team and you know, run the team and McLaughlin moved across. He was left head and shoulders above everyone else, which sounds a bit arrogant. But when you look at the results, he probably he probably has a point. I think there are enough warning signs from some of the up and comers that he won't have it all his own way for um, for too long. But I mean, he's been brilliant when he's turned up in a GT car. He's brilliant in the supercars. I think he's I think he's a he's a top yeah. top driver.
3: And he arguably produced one of the performances of of the year in terms of when he was. Injured and probably more injured than he let on to it at Sandown with broken or later diagnosed as broken ribs and, and collarbones and going from seventeenth to first like that's a, that's one hell of a race um, and I think sort of those sorts of performance like you say head and shoulders but demonstrated it and and really took hold of that championship and just never let go really.
0: I'd love to see him come into my realm again. You know he 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 did um, what we were then calling the blank blank pun endurance uh, series and won it. Um, in a McLaren and he just looked like uh, an all an all round guy who could who got the traffic, who got the fuel saving. I'd love you know, I'd love to see him get get in a Massive, in an L D H car yeah, yeah. or an L M H oh, car.
2: You, Why not? everyone you speak to, like really experienced engineers, team bosses, like really everyone that's come into contact with him says he's you know, because he rocked up in the to do the New Zealand Grand Prix as well. Didn't even one from the pit lane. <laughs> yes, I yeah, mean, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, phenomenal, really. So, yeah, big, big tick for him. Um, the other, the other thing I wanted to talk about um, <laughs> a controversial title decided, but not the one you're thinking of. <laughs> um, so we've got Liam Lawson, who obviously was a front runner in Formula Two, and I think probably moral DTM champion in thirty fourth. That phrase has been used a lot this year. Yes, Moral, it moral champion. Yeah. But uh, I understand Ke-
3: the, the, the sense the it. You going yes, with this. Yes.
2: Kelvin van der Linde, who is 49th on the list, but would have been higher had it not been for an inability to stop at the first corner of the season finale. Uh, and then the champion uh, who'd benefited from all that was, was Maxi Gotts, who didn't make our top 50 at all. So has anyone got any huge objections to any of that? I'm fairly comfortable with the order. Um Although Van der Linde, we we did penalise him for that atrocious piece of driving, but he did have a very good season. So was it fair enough to have him just creeping into the fifty?
0: Yeah, and I wouldn't. You know,
2: I've I've covered a lot of races
0: with uh, that have involved Gots, uh, and I don't really. You know, he. I never looked at the sort of Mercedes roster and thought he's the star. You know, never, never for in a month of Sundays. So yeah, I, I'm entirely happy with uh, with that list. Yeah,
3: likewise, and from Lawson's standpoint, obviously, he was dovetailing it um, with single-seater racing and, and has done a, a solid job there as well. So, I think him to turn up in DTM with this sort of joint Red Bull programme and become the star straight from the off in a car that he didn't know, Championship doesn't know, a lot of circuits that he wouldn't have known either, Like that just proves credentials of if the right thing or correct thing had happened in the finale, he would have got the just deserves. And a GT,
0: a GT three car, you know, if he was going to a prototype, an LMP two car, or whatever, you'd say, okay, you can do that with single seaters, even a GTE car. But a GT three car, I think that's, I think that's a, that's quite a big transition to make, you know, back and forth every other
2: weekend. I think, I think that's, yeah, that 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 says something about the guy's talents to me. Yeah, absolutely. And let's not forget who his teammate was as well, who will be on the F1 grid next year, <laughs> Alexander Albon. So he's, he, he beat him, I wouldn't say sort of comprehensively, but significantly. So, um, yeah. So, uh, right. So we'll get on to some of the more, um, well, I was going to say more controversial. That's quite controversial. But <laughs> some of the drivers who didn't make it, they'll probably be the most cross and the one's going to be ringing us all up or, or slanging us off on social media. Actually, that's a bit unfair that some of them will take it uh, nicely, I'm sure. But I'm going to come to you first, Gary, because I, oh, guess, uh, I <laughs> guess two of the most obvious names, particularly given how high up the list Mike Conway was last year, uh, and not to make it at all. And obviously, uh, he's, he's, he's co-driver Lopez. So two of the three World Endurance Champions not on the list. So why is that? OK, well, first off, I'm just going to say that my
0: top five... In my WEC review, my top hypercar five—oh, sorry, yes, hypercar five—was Buemi, Kobayashi, Lopez, Conway, Lapierre, um, and I'm going to say the margins between them were fine. You know, not much at all. You know, I don't. Buemi was top, but I wouldn't call him the standout driver because there wasn't a standout driver. Standout suggests there there's a significant a gap, a gap <laughs> and there wasn't. It, you know, where, you know, you just look at um, some of the averages. Uh, you know, um, I think if you, if you do Le Mans, if you do the sort of average of the uh, top um, 50 laps, Kobayashi was naught point naught seven four ahead of Buemi, Uh and that's naught point naught seven four I'm gonna say it again over a eight point four seven mile circuit, you know. So yeah, that's significant. Now yeah. So Buemi was consistently up there on the averages. Um in every race, I think he was the most consistent performer at Toyota, which is why he got my number one spot. Kobayashi, very very good. Like for example, in the first Bahrain race, on uh, a fifty lap average, Kobayashi was naught point naught three one ahead of uh, Buemi. Uh, I mean, That's I amazing, it's amazing, actually. I, it's, yeah, that close. I don't. I. I. It's Toyota manipulating these. You think? So, so on the last lap, <laughs> you have to back off by a tenth, <laughs> so we can. So we can get the average down. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so. So it. Yeah. For me, Kobayashi, sort of gets the nod in the championship-winning car as the best of the championship-winning uh, drivers partly because i think you know on a, on you know just like talking about the 50 lap averages of lemon he was he he was was quickest but if you actually do the 75 lap average i think conway just shaded him <laughs> but uh we've got to take qualifying in into account and the reason we have to take uh qualifying into account is that it was to say it was decisive but it played a role in the in the championship the margin between uh, uh the two cars was f- four poles to the championship winning car one pole to the uh boemi car well there's a point for pole position the the mar- final margin in the championship was five points so if you reverse the score the championship goes to the other car, so so you have to say Kobayashi's free poles. Okay, he was handed uh, the car for qualifying. Um, I think all bar one occasion, um, Lopez got the pole at uh, Portimao. So okay, he was in the car. And don't forget, now we're back to traditional qual- qualifying in WEC. It's not yeah, the old qualifying. It's not the old ag- <laughs> aggregate system that I got very upset about when it was introduced. But right, act- right. Act- yeah. actually. You quite liked in the came, end. <laughs> came to like it actually, um, but there you go. Um, so you know, he did the business that turned out to be crucial. Um, Lopez, I thought, had a, a, a stunning year, particularly at Portimao uh, in the race and in the uh, and in um, qualifying, getting the pole. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I'm just going to go back to say that the margins were so fine, but I'm now going to say. Which is, uh, you know, just sort of talking about our list. We have, uh, let's say, four or five drivers. Uh, we're talking about we're talking about four drivers essentially here, aren't we? Uh, from the Toyota roster, only two of whom have made the cut, and they were infinitesimally close. Well, just behind, uh, I've lost Bottas in the list now. Where's he gone? Oh, there he 21st. is. Twenty-first. So he's twenty places behind his his teammate who n- nineteen it? or twenty? <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. Oh shit! Sorry. <laughs> <It's nice. laughs> and he's then a, a lot, as lot as well. of places behind his teammate. Well, okay. Let's let's go to uh, Boemi. Yeah, twenty places. Okay, so okay. thirty seconds. Yeah, so Kobayashi's. Twenty sixth. Add twenty places to 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 that. Uh, so you could say, Lopez and, and Conway should be in the uh, lower reaches of the forties. You know, I would suggest that Bottas was you know blown away by his teammate. looked looked
2: remarkably average but then Lewis Hamilton isn't Sebastian Wamey or the other way around yep, you see what okay, I mean? so you're yep. not comparing yes, okay. and then, but that but kind of cuts at the crux of the issue I mean yes. I think every year we do this I mean we've been doing it twenty. this is the 20th edition is of it top 50, really? Yes. time flies um, and I think pretty much almost every year there's somebody that I feel bad about that didn't Get in, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I would say this year it's definitely Lopez and Conway. Part of the thinking behind that was that also, if you you start including four of the six Toyota drives, and that's four of the ten hypercar drives, you think that is a pretty small. Like, are we saying it was that good of a championship? That's where the championship weighting comes in, but it it doesn't feel quite right. They're not there, but when we tried to move them in and out and uh, shake it all about, but we didn't quite. We didn't quite get there. But the other person I wanted to mention who was in the list until the very last moment, also in your world, was Tom Blomkvist. And he mm-hmm. impressed you as well. And he came pretty close to yeah. winning lmp 2 at Le Mans in, I think, one of the most exciting finishes that the commentary team completely, completely missed, missed. live. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> Which, you know, it's a hard job. Um, yeah. um, but uh, it was coming for about 45 minutes, that, that finale. Yeah. And that was amazing, wasn't it? Well, A, uh, Blomkvist was uh right up there
0: amongst the quickest uh of the drivers uh in LMP2 and let's not forget how competitive LMP2 uh is in WEC and elms and then you chuck them together at Le Mans you know the 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 WEC and the uh, the um the cream uh, of the LMS. and you just had some amazing amazing drivers Blonkfist uh was among the quickest I mean I think on the averages and i i i i i sound very boring here as though i am uh, sitting at home most evenings with my calculator uh well i mean i do What's that? <laughs> that sounds like sounds great <laughs> uh but you know he was yeah it was i think you know you can you can cut the cloth different ways can't you but it was him uh uh De Vries and another driver uh who's made the li- uh list ifaye um the the uh, young Chinese driver who uh, should have won <laughs> uh, Le Mans this year with WRT uh, in, P2, uh, in P2, but conked as the final lap, lap yeah. started. Which, and that, that set up this amazing battle. Well, it didn't set up the battle. It just turned the battle that was for second place into the battle for the lead. Now, Tom Blomqvist, who had been a star uh, f- throughout the race, was closing down Robin... Uh, Ferns in the uh, in the other WRT car. Ferns had a bit of an issue with the car, possibly as a, revol- a result of a hit, possibly as a result of the special uh, pillows that they were using to jack up the car because the air jacks had failed, which they think probably damaged the diffuser. But they but because the car had to be taken to bits a bit during scrutineering, they don't they couldn't really say what you know. What affected what the most, kind of thing, and so Blongfist was um chasing him down, starting the final lap. They were, I think, 3.9 seconds uh apart. Then I think uh Blomfist got a second in the first sector, a second in the second sector, one more second in the final sector as they were zigzagging through all the cars, slowing up behind the uh, Toyotas, uh, in a in a Sort of traditional uh, Le Mans finish, except that it, the reasons for <laughs> for it weren't really so so much the um, uh, the the desire to stage a photo finish, more the fact that uh, the uh, second place Toyota was was having a recurrence of the fuel pressure issue, so uh, it couldn't actually go that fast. So they were zigzagging through through the pack. Frames on the on the start finish line had to. You know, nip past a Porsche, just clipped it. Confronted by the by a race official waving the flag, had to jink past him. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was amazing. But you had to be following the timing screens to see it, and looking out the
2: window. I'm a little bit surprised, actually, that it, okay, so race control missed it, but some of the other teams maybe didn't clock it because you know you <laughs> they were all backing up behind the Toyota, weren't they? And you'd have thought maybe somebody, either in race control and teams, would have gone. This is not potentially going to end well because it could have been a massive shot, actually. Oh, yeah. Well, we so we got yes. we got we got away with that one. But um, uh, I, I'm, <laughs> over to over to you, uh, Jake. We're going back to Formula Two. Obviously, we talked about Oscar Piastri. He's up there in twenty third. I think he was a, another standout, another standout season. You know, he's, he's making a habit of winning as a rookie champion. So I guess yeah. I assume that you're happy with him being that high up the list. And but who else from F two should be here that perhaps isn't or that you'd move in?
1: Uh I think there's a couple actually. Um you've you've set me up with Terry Porcher, who I'll come on to in a minute. Um so we, obviously for reference we've got Piastri on the list, we've got Guan Yu on the list. Um and Poorsheir, fantastic debut season, uh comes into Formula Two uh, you know, the age of seventeen. He's incredibly young, prodigious talent. Um and you know being talked about as a future alfa romeo slash sauber driver um and had a fantastic win in monaco but it the season wasn't it wasn't quite polished enough i don't think from his perspective um you know he needs another year uh just to actually go and fight for a title all the way, all the way through the season um you know fighting for it this year was, was probably a step too far but it's it's a learning year He's with ART, which is probably second or third best team on the grid as well. Um, so, you know, he's had a good season. And then the other one I would mention as well, um, who at the death finished second in the championship, uh, Robert Schwartzman. Um, but I think his uh, season was more of a symptom of the really weird calendar that Formula 2 had this year, which was we'll have a couple of rounds and then we're going to have a six-week <laughs> Take layoff. Take a chill. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he didn't really turn up until the final two rounds, Schwarzman. His qualifying wasn't particularly brilliant. Um, Last year, you know, last year he'd had a good season, but it was inconsistent. And then this year, the same until we got to Saudi and until we got to Abu Dhabi, where he, at the death, leapfrogged Guan yu Joe for the second place in the standings. And Joe was sort of... uh, you know, wiped out in Saudi at the start, so he'd sort of had a bit of a difficult weekend as well. So those are those are the F two two that I think didn't make it. Obviously we had Lawson as well, as as we've already mentioned. And maybe maybe I'd make a case for Yuri Vips, but again, not really a consistent season.
2: Yeah, I think several of those names are gonna be people that are going to be on this list in the next year or two, I think.
0: And PSG, let's not forget, won it as a rookie absolutely yeah. i mean it's and all-
2: that's that's so
0: significant for the you know in the days of gp2 and uh, f2 people winning it in their in their fourth year I was going to say 16th year there but that's just being facetious <laughs> Facetious, but you know people winning in their in their fourth year and stuff like well, that it's, you know
2: it's the sort of it tends to be the top drives that do it isn't it it's your Lewis Hamilton's your George Russell's Charles Leclerc's that do that Nico sort of Hulkenberg I mean it's yeah Nico Hulkenberg another good one. I mean yeah how is he not I mean he should be on the list because he should have a drive somewhere but anyway that's a that's a different debate but um, yeah I mean, well that just shows not- you doesn't it talent the
0: people who've done what he has done you look at what they've gone on to achieve so he's the old one out (laughs) so no Piastri I'm talking about so so I'm I'm saying you know Piastri you know we're going to be hearing a lot about him in the future and and, uh, Nico
2: Hülkenberg did win Le Mans by the way (laughs) Yes, but it, not this year, I mean. No, okay, yeah, <laughs> I yeah, meant yeah. this season. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, Piastri's almost, done himself, he's almost sort of stitched himself up by being too good in his rookie year because normally you'd expect to come back and have a programme for the following year, but there's no point in him doing that, well, is there? Yeah, saying, yeah, yeah sub- just-
3: subject to what <laughs> he does get up to next year, obviously he probably won't be on this list next year. No, no. Because, I mean, as, as time of recording, yeah, he hasn't got a lot to do apart from reserve, reserve roles um, or any sort of step-ins. But, yeah, that's going to be the strange thing where, yeah, you're right. Like, he's a superstar this year in, in the list and full accolades, but next year he won't
2: be in any list. Look out for him in the 2023 top 50, I think. Is that's probably that's some day. good advice. That's right.
0: You. And I think we like him because he, he cut his teeth on the, in the British racing scene. So, you know, I, I'm, sh- I'm sure racing around Orton
2: Park taught him a lot. You know, yeah. well, he's, and he's I'm, also, not, I'm he, not saying that as a joke. Yeah, he way. also he also comes across as a you know. No, I mean, actually, he keeps he he could keep winning our rookie award every year <laughs> yeah. because he could right. get to yeah. you know, the, he didn't. I think he won it last year. He's in <laughs> the running for it this year. If he gets to F he could do it again. So yeah, I think we'll be talking a lot more about him. But um, there's two more names I've got on my list of people that didn't make it that we need to talk about, and then we'll then we'll get to the crux of it unless anyone else. So I'm going to go to you, Hayden, on this one because our our uh, and I'm sure Jake will have an opinion as well. But we. Roman Grosjean, so someone who didn't achieve what he should have done in Formula One for reasons that we won't go into now. But uh, now, David mouchel has made a case that he should be in the top fifty, but didn't put him in his own IndyCar top ten, which made it slightly tricky. Mm. I think he did have an impressive season, but I'm fairly comfortable with him not being in the list, and I suspect that he will be in the list next year. But do you think that's fair? Or do you think we should we've sort of done him done him an injustice? He is definitely one that. As, as reason he's in this section, it
3: was right on the cusp, very very impressive. Sort of adapting to it, a couple of mistakes here and there, but again you'd expect that as a, a rookie in that in that series. Um, but I, th- I think you're right. It's more is to come from that. Obviously he's moving teams and and should be therefore moving up the grid. Um, but I was, I was let's say I was very impressed and, and given what he came came back from, let's say, with the crash uh, to that ended his Formula 1 career, obviously not quite directly inter- uh, intertwined. Um, good putting that as a factor into how he performed adapting to IndyCar was, was very, very impressive. So I am of the opinion of he's a little bit unlucky to miss out, but it would have been Lower reach, of it.
2: Yeah, he's, he's sort of fifty-three for me behind Pine yes. uh, Lopez, and Conway. I think. In the what about you, Jay? Do you think he should have got in there? Or I mean, we it was difficult because then you'd have to make sure you had ten IndyCar drivers in, and then him really, which was kind of excluded. So what I'm saying is that David uh, David prevented him from getting in the top fifty.
1: Yeah, I think I think what counts against him as well is uh, I think this is kind of crucial is that he didn't do the full season. Um, he missed the Texas doubleheader. He missed the Indy 500. And I think when you miss out on races uh, and also, you know, as a result, you know, lost the rookie of the year award to to Scott McLaughlin, who also isn't in the list. Um, you, you'd have to say that counts against him. Grosjean had a fantastic season. There's no doubt about it. It just wasn't consistent enough. But you would expect that from a... Essentially an in- IndyCar rookie and B somebody driving for Dale Coyne who's set up for a handful of races but don't have the the capital or the the resources to go and chase a setup for every single race. So you look at, for example, both Indy Grand Prix races, uh finished second in both of them, first one chasing down Rhinos VK for the win, uh, and then you got you know, balked a little bit by like Sebastian Borde as he was trying to catch up. And then in the second one, chasing down Will Power for victory and still couldn't quite get there. And then there was his magnum opus at Laguna Seca where he was just driving through absolutely everybody. And you look at his move on, on Jimmy Johnson at the corkscrew. If it was a move he'd done in F1, you know, he'd have been given a 10-second a, a, a penalty But, you know, IndyCar is a completely different category. And so you raced those rules. And so he put one on Jimmy Johnson. They touched a little bit, but it was a fantastic move. And it just shows you how brave he is in going into IndyCar on the back of the incident that that Hayden mentioned and just giving it absolutely everything. And he did his first oval race at Gateway later on the season. And there were parts of it where he looked absolutely like a natural but the finishing position didn't just sort of work out for him. But there were parts of that race where he was just driving through people. And if he does, well, I assume he'll be doing the full season for Andretti next year. And, you know, if he manages to learn Texas quickly, manages to get, you know, everything together for the Indy 500, he's in a great oval prospect as well. So hopefully we'll be talking about him next year.
0: I think this begs the question why he didn't make Marsh's, uh top 10.
1: Well, I
2: would... <laughs> You need to give Malsha well, a I'd right like to reply. To, reply to, on that we should, yeah, shouldn't yeah. We? yeah, yeah, absolutely. But uh, the the only I, again, I think he'll be re-entering the list probably next year if things continue on their current path. But one other name I just wanted to cover off because we did not include Jamie Chadwick in 2019, and we got some when she won the inaugural W Series Championship, uh, and we got some flack for that, and she's not in this 50 either. Uh, despite the fact she retained her retained her crown. So I just want to cover off why, really. Um, I, I'm happy to do this. You guys can jump in uh, as and when, uh, if I say anything that you agree or disagree with. But essentially, it's a category that is a junior single-seater category. It's using the same basic cars as Formula Regional European by Alpine, and none of those drivers get into the list. You know, We have to obviously a hierarchy of championships, and the junior single-seater categories don't normally get in. Particularly, you get... Like we've just talked about, what, three, three or four F2 drives are made it in. Dennis Hauger has made it in as a dominant F3 champion, and that's kind of it. So the next category up from Formula Regional is FIA F3, and I would say that W Series is at best on a level with Formula Regional. But actually, obviously, it's got a lot of license holders. I don't think we can say are. it's on we a level. We can't really say that. But in terms of the t- the cars, the, the cars, t- the but not the level of competition. Like, but the championship is by definition one where you know 95 of license holders are excluded. Now we that's not a criticism. But because we know that W Series exists for a specific reason, it's a very laudable reason, and I think we'll see, hopefully, what it will do is actually put more girls into karting at the bottom of the ladder, and then we won't have 95% of licence holders being male. So that all good reasons, but just because it's an F1 support category and on TV doesn't immediately mean it gets to jump a lot of other categories that are more competitive. So... That's that's the reasoning behind Chadwick. It's not anything against her, and I think actually she's sensible enough to know that her next step needs to be into fif three. So she she knows where it's at as well.
3: And and to add to the extra extracurricular activity of Extreme E, which obviously is a a first um, campaign this year, for new series. Obviously, been involved in that. It's it's in its infancy. It's it's very exciting, and it's and curious to see how that goes um, for the future. But I feel like that that's a similar, similar sort of factor in terms of her efforts in there as as well. It's it's difficult to judge, and if you were to categorise, it certainly wouldn't be alongside, well, rallycross, for example. Yet,
2: no, that's a very good point. And actually, there's only one extreme e driver in the list, and that's Johan uh, who I think has been a, has been a standout in in extreme e. But yes. that's actually not why he's in the list. No, indeed. And the reason yeah. he's in the list is because he won a pretty sensational world rallycross championship which involved at one point putting a fire out while racing with a fire extinguisher which, which is quite impressive artist, work yeah, yeah he's a uh, big fan of him um uh, we should get him on as a special guest at some point because he's done all sorts of different categories and won in all sorts of different things so is there any other name no, before we move on to the, the final part of the podcast are there any other names that we've missed that you think should be in the list or hard what, done by
0: the slightly hard done by james collado uh, Pig Weedy's teammates at the F course, of Ferrari team. You just want all your drivers in the next <laughs> Well, in, in a way, are we not meant to big up our series? If, <laughs> if quite, no quite one's right, going to defend
2: right, right. the series it's you cover,
0: it, you know, it's 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 your patch. It's I, I feel duty-bound. Well, to... also,
2: is he 30-something places below his co-driver?
0: Well, okay. It's a hard yeah, one, yeah, yeah, it? yeah. So... Exactly. And I, d- I thought he had an excellent year. I just f- think Pig Weedy had... Had a superlative year, yeah, so that's why Pigweedy's in there so high. You know, your point about thirty places behind because there were there wasn't a lot between them. I think I I, I did the the maths and I've written about it. Pigweedy was four two. It was four two in t- terms of sort of who was quickest on the averages. So uh, something like that. So
2: yeah. Well, I mean, I think you could do a you could do a top hundred, and you'd still be going. Oh, this person yeah, would have yeah. been hundred and first, and it's you got to draw the line somewhere. But yeah, I think that's probably a fair point. So, any any other drivers that we should uh, we should mention?
1: Two. No more okay. no more well, American suggestions. Okay. You're oh, full of Americans okay. I was no, going to suggest Marcus Ericsson, but um, okay. I think <laughs> as an Xf one driver going into a
2: top IndyCar team, I think Grosjean showed him up really. Um, yeah, my, but what what other drivers
1: uh, were crashed into on lap one and had to go into the pits and then end up winning the race, which is exactly what he did at Nashville. <laughs> Secondly, I would also suggest um, Jack Doan. Um, ah, yeah, that's an interesting one. For you know, obviously Hauger's our only F three representative in in the list. Uh, Hauger had a fantastic season. But you'd have to say on balance, doing ran him all the way. Both had quite rubbish twenty twenty seasons, um as well. Hauger didn't score many points and Dewan scored none. But you know, they weren't in Dewan's case he was with HWA, which has been proven to be not a very good team and they're on the way out now. Sorry, HWA. Um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah on balance, you that's, know that's he, stinging. He, yeah. He goes past, he? you know, he goes to Trident. Trident, you know, because of him and Clement Novak as well uh win their first ever team's title which counts for nothing but it's a nice accolade to have and then he turns up here MP motorsport at the end of um the end of 2021 and uh plonks on the front row for abu dhabi which you know he promptly ruins but you know to turn up in f2 and be quick out of the box that is given given the car is is quite a feat yeah no that's a that's a fair shout um was there any when no, you throw in or should we
2: move on to the final part? Not just only
3: comment is the themes that we've all talked about pretty good year for Australian racing.
2: Yes, there's yeah, a lot of big names point. big yeah. names young and and, uh, and sort of Slightly older. Very, very impressive. And of course, Daniel Cardo won the uh, won the Italian Grand Prix, as well, even though he did spend most of his years struggling to get on terms with Lando Norris, who is number three in our list, which is a brilliant segue oh. into who the top two might have been. So this is obviously not a surprise to anyone, because um, yeah, Max Verstappen, Lewis Hamilton, we won't, we're not going to go through the whole F1 list because as I say, there'll be a separate podcast, but I think we have to talk about positions one and two, particularly as they are in reverse order from... ...the World Championship result. As it stands at the moment of time recording, we're still waiting to find out whether Mercedes will follow through with its appeal for the Abu Dhabi uh, Grand Prix result. We're not going to get into that now because that's, that's been discussed before and I'm sure will be discussed again. So, before I uh, explain, I think, why uh, I agree with Lewis Hamilton being number one, does anyone want to disagree and put a case forward for Max Verstappen? Because there is a strong one. He led most laps, he won the most races... He took the most polls, so uh, you could make a strong case for Max being number one.
3: I yeah,
2: I will say that there
3: is a very strong case for it. I can see both sides, but I think yeah, you put it down to statistics. Um, and on say, let's go on on previous years, at least in recent history, the the form Keppler would say that Verstappen should should be number one. Uh, I think given the pressure and going up against what he went up against in terms of Lewis Hamilton's Mercedes juggernauts, multiple world champions, et cetera, et cetera and then it just largely didn't seem to, to fa- at least on the outside, phase him and just carry on just performing at the highest level that we've seen for ever from him. But for, for many years across sort of Formula One and then, OK, the bit of craziness at the end bit of luck maybe but it all evens it out that's the not his fault said and none that. of that was his fault exactly of course. he just no. took
2: advantage of the situation exactly
3: and, and i think that's right taking advantage of the situation he still had which to, is to his job right yeah so. <laughs> still had to pull off that overtake in the, on the last lap his only only opportunity was that last lap okay at the tire advantage but he needed to do it and i, I almost would say doing that alone could be the, the case of putting him as number
0: one but well, max verstappen the overtaker surely that creates a very strong argument for putting him number one, but also perhaps is an argument against him being number one because of the controversy that it created, his methods, his whatever. You know, some people are are, uh, interpreting it as unsportsmanlike behavior, aggressiveness, whatever. Uh, That's the crux of it. If you believe that he's a fair overtaker, then for me, he's number one. Because... It's called motor racing. I don't want to paraphrase uh, uh, people in race control because uh, they've upset me a lot recently. Oh, well, and by, the, by uh, our inbox, they've upset a lot of people. They've but but, upset everyone. <laughs> so, yeah, Max That's, or Lewis At fans, some point, uh, It's yeah. not really... But, but yeah, racing. It's it's about racing. And, and he races. he races hard. Does he race fair? I mean, yeah. For me, the, the uh, move he pulled on lap one uh, last weekend in Abu Dhabi was absolutely fair, and and how Lewis Hamilton didn't have to. Uh, Give back the position uh, is beyond me.
2: Well, I would. We won't go too much into this because obviously it'll be in this week's magazine as well. The discussion about this. My take on that was I think it was a marginal move, and on its own, you'd probably say it was all right. But I think in the context of the way Max always drives, it was another one of those. Lewis has to avoid a crash. Lewis did avoid a crash and go across the runoff. So my call would have been, Lewis, you have to hand the place back. Max goes into the leads. Max, you have to f- f- hand the place back and we're back to square one again. So I was kind of think that their the decision was kind of a roundabout way of getting there. That wasn't the, my main issue with um, <laughs> the running of the race. But your question about the racing is, is the crux of it. I think across the board, Max and Lewis both made a few mistakes. You could argue that perhaps Lewis's were bigger. The one at Baku gave away a possible win. The one at Imelie was lucky to get away with when he stuck it in the gravel. The safety car sort of you know saved him. Um, Max also made a few mistakes he should have won in Bahrain he went off the road he made the mistake in Portugal Let Lewis get past obviously there was the Saudi Arabian lap which was 90% towards being one of the greatest qualifying laps of all time and then in the wall so they both made mistakes they both had some marvellous uh, marvellous performances I think even Adrian Newey said he thinks that the Red Bull was probably over the balance of the season marginally ahead but it was very marginal there were some days where the Mert was quicker so it's neck and neck all the way along and you could say well yeah we've well, been quite happy to say Max is the world champion, and it's also it's nice to have difference, right? It's nice to have different people winning championships and whatever it is. It's just variety is what we want. So on pure performance level, I'd have been happy to see Max number one. My issue is I don't think he's a racing driver. I think he's a very fast driver who just launches his car at whoever is around him and expects them to get out of the way. I don't think that that's my idea of what motorsport should be. It's harking back to days of Ayrton Senna and, and Mark Schumacher, and I think part of the problem has been that the stewarding hasn't Uh, You know, Max is basically pushing the limits of what he can get away with, which you could make a case is his job. And the FI have been inconsistent in the way that they've Mm. responded to that. So obviously he got away with it into Lagos when actually with hindsight he shouldn't have done because that allowed us to have the ridiculousness in Jeddah. So for me, Lewis Hamilton has gone around about his business generally avoiding damage bills for Red Bull and Mercedes this year. And at Silverstone, he obviously went, I've had enough of this. You've got more to lose. And I actually had a really interesting conversation with Jason Plato about this on uh, on Monday morning after the race and he said if Max had just backed out of that Silverstone move we are just talking about that particular one he'd have been second probably but actually could have won because the Red Bull was really fast that weekend and he could have gone to the season finale already as world champion and that's the kind of he doesn't have the bigger picture yet like every single wheel to wheel action with Max is I'm here and make your own arrangements and he's not bigger picture thinking which Lewis you could say well he's more experienced so he should have that over that side. so for me Max represents a challenge to what most sports should be which needs to be dealt with and that's for me why he's number two and actually it wasn't my call because I dropped a line after Max was world champion on Sunday night to our F1 guys because it has to follow the F1 top 10 do you want to swap them round or do you want to put Max ahead because it was neck and neck going into the weekend literally Uh, and and the the answer came back to Lewis which I personally agree with I can see by the look on Gary's face that he's not convinced I'm not
0: saying it's wrong I'm just saying that
2: yeah I, I'm still debating in my, in my mind, and it is, yeah. We, we, I mean, we we had Max down for a long time because we, we start, started talking about this uh, a lot earlier in the year than normal, partly because it was exciting to have something different at the front of F1, right? We were all excited to have that in a championship fight, and we got Max's ahead. You know, Lewis had those issues and mistakes early in the year. In fact, I think at one stage, it was Max versus Lando for number one because Lando was brilliant in the first half of the year. Um, but from... I must admit I started I got rather irritated from Monza onwards, uh, because of the pattern I thought emerged of, of Max just always putting themselves, putting him and Lewis. I think he would do it with anyone to be honest, I don't think it's special to Lewis. It just happens to be that he's the one racing racing him, um, in a position where he never you know, he does doesn't someone summed it up to me a long-term motorsport fan the other day and summed it up much more concisely than I've been so far which is he never gives racing room and I think that that is the crux of it he never gives racing room not sometimes or occasionally or he just doesn't and I think that's for me that's that's an issue Um, and I think the way that Sergio Perez raced against Lewis Hamilton for those couple of laps in Abu Dhabi was the classiest driving we've seen from a Red Bull driver against Lewis in the wheel to wheel situation this season So then
3: Kev would you say that that sort of the definition of the top 50 driver of the year. It's not who's the champion or who's the quickest. There's so many more factors that make you the driver of the year in, in this list because it, it, otherwise we would just
2: get a copy paste of championship uh, positions at the it, end of the it, year. Exactly. One of the most annoying things that people say is, oh that's the championship result so that's who the best driver was. And not just about F1 but anything and that, that's just for me just a f- completely flawed logic and all, and just makes the whole thing a pointless yeah, way. And,
3: and to underline that, that's why Valtteri Bottas isn't Third, yeah, exa- and exactly. sits, we, none, none
2: of us would sit and go, "Yeah, Valtteri was the third best driver in F1 or in the world this year." You just so it doesn't that argument doesn't make sense. Like part of our jobs, all all of us sat here is to try and assess which drivers are doing the best job, teams drivers are doing the best job, and you've got so many variables. Obviously, even if you're just covering one championship, you've got different teams doing different jobs and. Uh, you know drivers aren't always consistent as well, they peak and trough. So it's very hard to make these judgment calls and you, and we all know that the championship result isn't always a fair reflection of uh of of the, of the ratings of those drivers. Yeah, I'm not saying that's the case in this instance. I do still think Max Verstappen is a worthy world champion because I think he's an incredible racing driver and he is you know you could make a case that he is the fastest driver in the world at the moment. Uh, some of his qualifying laps toward the end of the year I think he's prepared to sit on the knife edge maybe a bit more, It's probably a youth thing sit on that knife edge a bit more than Lewis is I think Lewis can go up to 99 and sit there mm. and Max I think sometimes goes to 99.9 and then we see occasionally like we saw in Saudi Arabia oh he's just overstepped yeah. it like, Lewis wouldn't have had that accident but 10 or 15 years ago maybe he would have done yeah. so that's probably the difference um, but yeah you're absolutely right it's, it, You you have to bring your own criteria to it normally we don't have the track etiquette isn't normally a big part of this but it is for number one it is for the DTM situation that we've talked about we even mentioned it with the GTE Pro situation although we factored that out less because I think that's a bit that's a one-off isn't it that's not a consistent thing and it's not quite the same um, so yeah so I, I think either of them could have been number one we could have made them equal number one but then we just get accused of being you know of copying the on and the and fence yeah. which, which, is, which is even worse than, than, than having the wrong opinion isn't it yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, because then you just upset everyone. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I should probably say I did upset quite a lot of the of, of the Dutch F1 fans p- before the weekend. And journalists, like I request it, and, and let, TV figures. I'm less <laughs> bothered about. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, by simply requesting or, or suggesting it would be good if Verstappen didn't take Lewis out in the season finale. He didn't do that, so. Fair play, I'm happy. I was coming from the point of view. I He took, he took your column to heart, Cap. I don't think he took any notice of it, and i do I think that he should <laughs> do. But uh, but I didn't want to repeat of 1990 Suzuka or 1997 Jerez, which was, for me, two low points in motorsport history. Mm. We didn't get that. We got a different low point in <laughs> motorsport history. But yes. it wasn't to do with Max Verstappen or Red Bull. Is this so, a dried, um, Michael? <laughs> yeah, which is a, another podcast. But I think, um, yeah, uh, Jake, are you which way around would you put them?
1: We've- I... Uh, you know me, you know I'm a serial fence-sitter. I would have put the joint number one. Oh, there you go. I thought
2: you were going to say Lando. I thought that was the other way no, you No, no, from. no, no.
1: Um, I think on merit, Verstappen won the title, but Hamilton probably had on balance the slower car. And you look at the end of the season, what it came down to, equal on points. Race director doesn't let other cars through. Lewis wins. Uh, Michael Massey does let them. Max wins. So it's yeah, literally, it literally that, that close. Mm. That decision. So mm. I think on balance, I can't separate them, unfortunately. So a uh,
2: uh, uh, one each, a uh, uh, Max, a uh, Lewis. So I've got to come. Off, I've got to come you, off the fence. You don't. Well, not well, vote. I mean, actually. I think saying you know, deciding vote. I think is Gary. I like what the point I do like is you know wh- where are we going with his on track stuff? Yeah. Is he if he if he just brings it back? A friend, you know, someone like Jason Plato says that he's, he's over the top. I mean, <laughs> well, <Whoa>, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Jason has got, know, Jason. got a, a good spirit, yeah, yeah. and I think he would yeah be ha- happy to happy. To, and he and he did say, look, you know. If I was that age, or if Lewis was that age, they'd have probably driven much more like that. But when you when you get a little bit more experience, you go, actually, I threw away points there that I don't need to do this. And of course, he also runs the risk of, you know, he might come up against someone who's less accommodating than Lewis. Uh, you know, let's let's say it's you know George Russell gets into the Merc and he goes, right, I'm going to make a stand against this. They're going to they're going to keep having bent cars, right? And Lewis will probably be the challenger because they're smouldering wrecks on the side. So. I would have liked to have seen Max go into the championship finale one point behind because um, I think then yes. he has to yeah. make those moves with a bit more judgment. Mm. I'm not saying he wouldn't have made them because he's – you know, but I I think it just he, – he knew that he could launch it down the inside both on lap one and at the, um, the final lap and know that Lewis was going to do his utmost not to have a crash because Lewis couldn't afford it. But what if Max couldn't afford it? How would he have approached that differently? I think that would have been fascinating to see. He may well still have – Found a way past because he, he is a great driver. So hopefully we'll see that the Max Verstappen story is far from being written and finished yet. This is this this is just you know one of those milestone milestones in the road. But for me, at the moment, Lewis is still still the best.
0: Well, he, Max came up against the stewards and his own reputation at Turn One uh, on Lap One, didn't he? Yes, that's that's yeah. who he came up against. Um, I mean, I think in those early laps, the Merc was the quicker car so i think um uh, lewis would have had every chance of of getting ahead but it it was his rep- it's what he'd done earlier in the season i'm clouded the judgement of the stewards and i'm i'm sorry i i'll say that because uh i think that's the case
2: i, I mean th- Alex Kalanorkas, who I'm sure will say this in the, uh, will get into this in the F1 podcast that will be coming out in a week or two's time, is that he felt that Max sort of was living by the sword, die by the sword, by putting uh, kind of the same way, saying the same thing really, which is you've you've put yourself out there, you've you've stepped out of line of everyone else. Like I'm sure Max knows where the line is. As racing drivers, you know certain things you can get away with and certain things you can't. He did that when he came to F1. He was doing that, moving under braking, and other drivers were like. Oh, hang on a minute, and and he, that got clamped down on, and he stops doing it. He doesn't do that anymore. You, can't, you yeah. don't see him weaving yeah, around, yeah. so he can adjust and get better. And I think that's quite a horrifying thought for everyone else. Is you know, when Lewis retires and Max, if he can round off these last few edges, you know, he's going to take some stopping, isn't he? So uh, you know, but we're we're just at that tipping point. I think where Max has got to find that last little bit, and it'd be really interesting to see if he if he can find it. I think you know if you want me
0: to. Um To sit on the the, sorry to come off the fence because it's it's bending a bit under the weight of me and uh, (laughs) uh, JBL now. (laughs) Uh, So I'm as the all round driver,
2: it's um, it's Lewis, isn't it? I think so. I think so at this point. But but as I say, that's not. uh, Oh, that's one other thing I want to challenge. That's not British bias. I really couldn't give a monkeys where the drivers come from. And in fact, we picked uh, the last driver who uh, was. Not world champion. Sorry, who was world champion that didn't get number one? Was back in 2016 when Daniel Ricciardo was number one, ahead of Nico Rosberg and Lewis. And 2014 when Lewis was world champion, and we also picked Daniel Ricciardo. So because uh-huh. of his stunning drives in, in uh, Red Bull. So we're not anti-Red Bull. We're not pro British. We're just trying to uh, go on all the criteria that we've yeah, just right. discussed. And I think it shows quite even just the thus four. It's it's so marginal the the, the that decision. So was, um,
0: was Jensen number one in
2: 2009? I will just look at it. I've got a feeling Lewis was number one in two thousand and nine because of what he did kind. with the. Uh, I've got a Dreadful list for McLaren. Uh, the, exactly, yeah. Uh, I've got a list of all the winners, which oh. is a separate podcast because it would be yeah, exactly. fantastic for for just <laughs> so the audio to, listeners. We're look
3: currently looking at a spreadsheet that came to cover all yeah. the top fifty. Yes, sorry, I've yes.
2: It, Thank it, you. Hayden sorry for, no. the, for those of you watching in black just, and white, I'm going for the picture. It's not yeah. a spreadsheet. <laughs> it's
0: actually a photo of the of the big wall <laughs> chart he has in his bedroom.
2: Oh, you see For those say, of you listening but, with your ears, Kev has a so, sprint. So, in, it's, just to give you some idea, in 2008, uh, when Lewis was world champion and he was fighting against Felipe Massa, our number one was Robert Kubica. Okay. Uh, and in 2009, when Jensen was world champion, Lewis was our number one. Jensen was second. And Jimmy Johnson, who at that point was Whoa. racking up his gazillionth NASCAR title. JBL, was in you third. would be loving that year. Um, so.
1: How old was I? That 2009. Uh, Fernando
2: Alonso <laughs> topped it in 2012, and yeah. he wasn't world champion. Okay. So we, you know, I would say there's probably more variety in our top 50 number ones, than there are world champions in recent yes, times. Yes, I'm sure. Um, but uh, that's uh, that just demonstrates how the championship order isn't always the way that it goes. But on this occasion, uh, uh, that's the case as well. So, any other business? I think we've uh, talked enough, probably, about the top yeah. 50. Should we have a top 100? Oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> God, can someone else <laughs> sort that out, please? Oh, dear. But anyway, thank you for it. Oh, that, Did you then, no, no, then, no. then
0: we could put drivers who'd been comprehensively mullered uh, by their teammates in the in the eighties and nineties, rather than in the twenties uh, <laughs> or whatever. Well,
2: if you did a top hundred, would you be including the twentieth best driver in Formula One or the f- first best driver in Formula Regional European? This would be the sort of thing. Well, I I, w- I would argue that there's
0: plenty of drivers in uh, Formula Regional who are better than uh, the worst drivers in uh, Formula One.
2: Maz versus so you, you, Gabriele, Gabriele Mini, made that plural uh, drivers. Driver, maybe. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, 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 no. Driver. Go, okay. No, I'm sticking with plural. Okay, okay fair enough. I'm not Can mentioning tell names. tell you how
3: you avoid that if you do a top 100? But it'll never happen for obvious reasons. Yeah, I can't face the thought, but yeah. It's going to be... You could put riders in. Oh, my
2: goodness. goodness. Oh, God. Oh. And... uh would that include sidecar uh, people right. from sidecar? <laughs> Why when not? you draw the line. <laughs> <laughs> I fear I've lost complete control of this podcast now, so I'm going to wrap it up and we can continue Have continue. we a- ever had anyone from the world of hill climbing in? I guess um, it I pre. Think on,
3: on series ranking, that probably goes
2: terrain. So well, well, yeah. actually, no offence to hill climbers. In a more, on a more if- serious note, we do do uh, the national guys, Stephen Lish and Stephen oh, Mackley, yeah. every year do do a top 10 club drivers and a top 10 rivalries. Um, we used to do a national drivers but we've kind of made it a toker F three G T thing now. And we had that very debate. We have included hill climb drivers in the past. So that the lookout for in the same Christmas double issue as our top moments of the year, the national boys are doing a uh, doing a, a big top tens and season review of the UK UK championship. So um yeah, that's that's a separate podcast I think Gary. Uh, there yeah. you go. Don't invite um, me onto that one, please. No, no, no. (laughs) Well, after after this last 10 minutes, I don't think we will. (laughs) Anyway, thank you very much to Jake Boxall Gary Watkins and Hayden Cobb. Thank you very much uh, for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it. Um, Have a great Christmas. Happy New Year. And um, we'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast.